0: It's a great pleasure to welcome Trend Micro to What's Next and Zahir Ibrahim, who is the Senior Sales Engineer at Trend Micro, joins us. Zahir, good day to you. Thank you for joining us, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today because. It's something that I'm very, very passionate about. And uh, when you look at the state of cybersecurity and you look at what's happening out there, I think 2021 was, and stand, I stand to be correct, it must have been the worst year on record in terms of the number of attacks and what we're seeing. So it's pretty bad. But um, I was reading through this uh, uh, Trend Micro security report and it shows that ransomware actors have evolved quite substantially. I mean, these guys are really innovating and they're coming up with fresh ideas since 2018 when they had a spray and pray strategy. And, and that was the norm back then, right? Um, and things have certainly changed. And, and the outline for 2021 is very different. They're using different strategies Um, and these malicious parties are being very innovative and uh, how they're using technology. Are you seeing something similar?
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks, Aki. Yeah, so when we're looking at how ransomware evolved over the years and we're looking at, like, like you rightfully said, from 2019 going into 2020 and then 2021, especially with the acceleration of the pandemic and thus open up a whole different can of worms of how attacks are actually happening. And what we realized is this whole uh, prey and spray scenario is no more uh, actually working quite well. And the reason being is it was more of like a commodity attack. Uh, They'll just release a lot of ransomware and whoever they catch, they catch. Whoever clicked the link, they click the link and they'll get some money out of it. What we've seen from a 2021, 20 going into 2022 is a lot of targeted type of attack. So we like to refer to this as an advanced persistent threat this is something that will target a certain organization so to give you an example we can use like a, a supermarket chain for example they have a lot of conveyor belt systems so they'll normally be targeted with something targeting spe- specifically for their industry and that's what we're seeing a lot of happening in uh, quite recently and when we're looking at it from a global stats perspective, we're seeing a lot of ransomware gangs. We like to refer to them as like dark side, uh, Ryuk ransomware, all of these kinds of gangs that are currently targeting these uh, APTs and they're targeting specific organizations. So what we've seen a very big shift from organizations being targeted from a pay and spray, but more targeted. And, and that is a very serious concern for a lot of organizations.
0: And, and yeah, you're absolutely seeing it, you know, in a lot of government organizations, I mean, Mm -hmm. we saw it last year, um, you know, healthcare facilities, uh, you know, across the world. Now, this report is absolutely fascinating, and it also notes that ransomware as a service is also rising, uh, and it's a a big trend. Now, for those people who don't know what ransomware as a service is, what exactly is it, and why is it becoming so popular?
1: Yeah. So it's quite a funny kind of scenario because when we're looking at something we have referred to as software as a service, so customers will use a Trend micro microservice provided in the cloud, that means it's software as a service. So what the ransomware community or the bad actors done is they create a ransomware as a service which acts on the same model as software as a service. So what happens is there's all of these different ransomware affiliates they work together and they start renting out or leasing out their services to bad bad guys out there so what will happen is uh, somebody wants to target another organization it's very easy to find they'll go on to the dark web they can actually have like a, a a a shopping list you can call it where they'll be able to tick what type of service they want and there's even things like uh, SLA that gets tied uh, to this ransomware as a service. So if, if you look at it, they'll have a 24 by 7 service. And lots of people don't know about that. And they, and they ask me the question, why would they need a 24 by 7 service? And if, if I use an example, I'll go and hire a ransomware as a service campaign to target you, for example, Aki. And what would happen is uh, your machine gets encrypted, you decide to pay the ransom, and now the ransomware as a service company doesn't release your data. That means that the ransomware as a service company now is a bad marketing because they're not doing what they're supposed to do from a support perspective. So if my counterpart wants to use it, He's not going to use their service because they didn't release your keys, and that just makes it a bad business proposal on their side as well. So ransomware as a service is a very easy-to-use service, and it's a pay-as-you-go service. So you can just go and pay monthly, yearly, whatever you want to do, and you can be able to invoke their services as well.
0: Unbelievable. I mean, these are becoming properly organized uh, organizations and businesses. And yeah. You can just go on a shopping list of what you need, you know, and you get rated with uh, your service levels. Yeah, it's, Uber. it's actually quite astonishing, you know. And obviously, when you yeah. look at when you look at the amounts of um, the money that is paid over in ransom, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it be Bitcoin or whatever, which seems to be the de facto currency, uh, there, there's, there's there's big money. You know, we're not talking hundreds of millions; we're talking billions of uh, of dollars every single year. When yeah. you look at the most Commonly used ransomware as a service families. Which ones would they be, and why are these particular ones so popular?
1: So there's 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 so many of them out there at the moment. But some of those that really stand out for me is the name, the gang names like Darkside. There's names like Conti. Uh, there's gang names like Ryuk. All of these type of ransomware campaigns are very key, and it's very easy to utilize. So if we look at uh, maybe the dark side ransomware. That was uh, especially used for a certain uh, help desk application that was used last year uh, by the name of Kaseya. Uh, this was a global threat that, that actually happened for a lot of uh, uh, people that were using these services. And because it was such easy ease of use that from uh, inception point to get the malware into the organization, a uh, point of entry was either an email, it could have been a USB stick or something like that. And what happened with that certain ransomware, it then moved laterally within the organization, and then it targeted a certain uh, individual, and then it did data exfiltration. Once it took the data out of the organization, we can even look at organizations like Conti, where they encrypt your data, and they do uh, multi-extortion demands out of you. So they want to be able to make sure that we got your data, you need to pay us a lot of money. And because ransomware as a service is so easy to be able to uh, obtain from the dark web, I, I, I'll put uh, Darkseid and, and Conti quite up there with the rest of them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a scary world out there. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 uh, you, where are these guys all based? Do we know? I mean, they're obviously very smart people, and they yeah. work in a great deal of secrecy. And you know, But is there a country that has the most kind of hackers or people that are you know, involved in these yeah. ransomware attacks, or is it just uh, you know, globally spread?
1: I think it's it's more globally spread but we're also seeing a very big uptake especially now recently with a war going on between ukraine and russia we're seeing a lot of ransomware campaigns being hit from russia uh, because russia is actually using even though people like to refer to as world war three that's coming uh, we, we don't even know that because the cyber warfare is already going on between Russia, Ukraine, United States, and so forth. And we're seeing a lot of this type of malware being leaked down here in Southern Africa, even though people think we're at the top of Africa and no one no one is interested in us. But we're seeing these indicators of compromise being hit from Russia. So we're seeing a lot of attacks originating from Russia, from China, all of this. But also one of the another the problems that we have is, Things like proxy servers, so they'll be able to jump from server to server to server. And by the time you do the threat hunt, they already disappeared into one dungeon somewhere. So it's very difficult to be able to pinpoint which country they're actually originating from.
0: Very very smart people. And I guess the the way to protect yourself is become knowledgeable, have the right measures in place. I mean, the pandemic, obviously, has increased Mm -hmm. the reliance on the cloud. We've seen massive digitization. Uh, we've seen a lot of remote workers, uh, hybrid workforces, which is still happening. A lot of people haven't returned back to the office; they're still working remotely. And the biggest security challenges that these trends have created are quite interesting. And and and, exa- and exactly how are these challenges being solved? Are we solving them? Are we actually winning the war? Because. Mm-hmm. When I look at the um, increase in malware and I look at the increase in attacks on 2021 with your recent research that you did, it's just jumped sky high. Yeah, Yeah. so so if we look at
1: the way cloud adoption actually uh, accelerated because of the pandemic, so there's two folds we got. We got the adoption of cloud services. So if you're looking at public cloud infrastructure, especially in South Africa, uh, we got uh, Amazon, we got Microsoft, we got the GCP might be coming soon. I I recently read Oracle data centers are also up and running in South Africa. So a lot of acceleration the pandemic actually caused, where customers were predominantly on-premise, they suddenly accelerated their journey to the cloud. And one of the problems that came with that is. Uh, security was not top of mind. So, they'll move their workloads to the cloud and then they think about security after that. So, what we've seen was something called cloud misconfigurations, where we're moving workloads to the cloud, but we're not actually sure of how to secure that as well. And that leads me to a second point where we talk about the shared responsibility model. So, even though you're moving your data to the cloud, the data that resides in the cloud is still your responsibility as a customer. Although the infrastructure is the cloud provider's responsibility, but you as a user moving your data there, you need to ensure it. I had too many times a customer, especially with like Poppy that came out, will say, "Okay, our data center is Poppy certified. Now you move your workloads in there, you think that your data is Poppy certified as well. It doesn't work like that because you as a customer needs to ensure that your data is well secured in the cloud as well. On the second front, we also got this uh, users working from home. And that was a big shift for a lot of organizations because we had this traditional parameter, the parameter was our data center, we had big firewalls, intrusion prevention systems, and so forth. And now all of a sudden, 80%, 90% of our workload is now gone to work from home model. And that means that our traditional parameter has been eroded. Because even now, if we look at uh, some people are moving back to the office, there's still uh, a lot of users working from coffee shops, working from remote offices and those kind of things. So we need to secure our endpoint and make sure wherever that endpoint is, that that endpoint is secured as well.
0: So cool. I want to ask you, and be honest with me now, how much yeah. do you trust uh, uh, public hotspots? Would you connect to a public hotspots being <laughs> in, the, in the security sector? Uh, you know, whoever I talk to, they say there's no ways... I would ever yeah. risk getting into a public Wi-Fi hotspot. Is, do you have the same sentiment?
1: Yeah, I got the same sentiment. So, so I, I, I've gone so uh, freaked out from a security perspective that at my home I got my own firewall that secures my uh, fiber at home and I got a VPN from a public hotspot. So if I have to connect to a public hotspot, I'll connect to it, but then I'll VPN to my house. And I'll connect to the internet there to make sure that everything is secure from my front. So I always take an extra layer of security just in case.
0: Oh, okay. well, thank you. Thanks for the tip. I'm gonna actually, uh, that's a it's a great tip actually. Uh, VPN into your home where you've got the firewall, etc., yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera. Now another yeah. big issue that was covered in your report is mm-hmm. that many systems are left unpatched. And and yeah. you know when you don't have your up to date patches on your systems. This becomes a massive issue. And if you look in the past, how many systems have been breached because they weren't patched properly? Why is this still a big problem?
1: So when, when we look at patching, patching has always been a problem, whether even before the pandemic. And, and one of the key things that we have is uh, you yourself. Yourself is a user Uh, The IT administrator decides to push some patches to your machine and then you'll see a small pop-up that says reboot your PC, but now you're doing something very important You don't want to reboot it and you keep delaying 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 and that is one of the concerns Some of the other concerns is you're pushing patches to production servers. Uh, There was a very well term we know BSOD uh, blue screen of death As soon as you push a patch, the server decides to blue screen and it becomes a problem. So we got a lot of IT administrators that are battling with this to be able to push patches. And what we're seeing from a security perspective is uh, just last week, I'm seeing vulnerabilities being exploited from last year, year before. Because these organizations are not patching their PCs or their servers in a timely fashion, Hackers are now jumping on the bandwagon and utilizing these legacy patches and being able to get their foot into those organizations to be able to do extortion and those kind of things. So patches is a very big problem that we have in our organizations and we need to be able to make sure that our patch cycles are up to scratch so that we can ensure that these machines are being patched as well.
0: Well, it's it's all very well to patch your machine software, but Mm -hmm. I see that your report also highlights that many users have been left vulnerable because they haven't patched their VPN to protect them against the latest threat. So it's one thing to, you know, patch your mm-hmm. software, but VPNs are critical to get patches as yeah. well. How can businesses ensure that all VPNs being used by their remote workforce have all been patched?
1: Yeah, So so patching, like I mentioned, is a very difficult aspect to be able to do. And I'll actually look at it as doing a twofold approach when we're looking at doing the patching. So when we're looking at users working from home, they have VPN software enabled. I would make sure, firstly, that the VPN concentrator is actually up to date and it's pushing the latest definitions to those VPN clients. Sometimes that is very difficult. You've got a very large organization. And to be able to deploy these patches to the VPN concentrators can be a very big problem. So what I do on that front is we'll uh, use some technology that we like to refer to in the industry as virtual patching. And what virtual patching is, is if we think about it as a Band-Aid, when you get hurt, you put a Band-Aid on your wound. Once the wound is uh, uh, healed, you take off your Band-Aid. So a similar approach can be t- thought about from a virtual patching uh, uh, perspective. The patch is now released. The vendor releases the patch, but you don't have the time to be able to release the patch. So what we do is we'll virtually shield you from any exploitation of that vulnerability. Once you do get the time to reboot that VPN concentrator, reboot the endpoint or whatever, we then remove our virtual patch and you'll be able to be shielded in future. So to be able to make sure that uh, our end users, our servers are patched, I'll, I'll highly recommend looking at a strategy like virtual patching to be able to shield those vulnerabilities while you are invoking your patch cycle.
0: Okay. When you look at uh, robust and multi-layered defence, it's yeah. it's it's very important in 2022, and there's all sorts of different uh, uses, uh, words and fancy words that are being used, like you know. Uh, but multi-layered defence um, in 2022, why is it so important? So multi-layered, I think 2022
1: makes it a very important case, but it has always been around. And what we need to look at from a 22 perspective is. Uh, things like uh, talking about risk and who you are as a user. And that I get to throw more uh, acronym jargon at you. So we, we got words like BYOD, which bring your own device. And then we had EDR, XDR. And now I've got a new acronym for you is Zero Trust. And Zero Trust is very important. When we're talking about Zero Trust, is it, it, uh, it occurs on two levels. So it's authentication and authorization. So authentication is you need to tell me who you are so whether it's by your username whether it's by using multi factor authentication etc and then authorization is what i'm going to allow you access to so for example uh, aki you using your laptop you took your laptop home and all of a sudden you receive some malicious email you got this malicious email you installed it on your pc by mistake now that makes your pc uh, a posture problem for us as an organization so For multi-layered approach, I'll also look at the level of posture checking to make sure, okay, this is Aki, this is his username and password. He doesn't have any risk associated to him, but his PC uh, operates from some sort of malware approach. So we need to make sure that he now goes into some remediation plan and make sure that his PC is clean, make sure that he resets his password, then we'll allow him access to corporate resources. Because that is, uh, we need to make sure that we trust no one. Whether you internal or external, I need to verify who you are. So from a multi-layered approach, especially in 2022, I'll definitely be looking at a zero trust approach, and we'll be able to make sure that your firewalls, IPs, endpoint, everything is in sync. Because the more correlation I can do, the more easy it will be able to identify who you are as a user and what type of data you are allowed to access. So definitely for 2022, multi-layered approach together with zero trust.
0: Tell me, I'm interested to know, Zahir, mm-hmm. you as a security expert, what is, the, uh, what is the best advice you can give in terms of uh, two-factor authentication? I mean, what do you use in your personal life? And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking. You find some people using like an SMS to authenticate. Again? Some people use an authenticator. I use that as well. That and even things like a, a YubiKey, you know, yeah. to, to authenticate you. What is the best and safest way to authenticate oneself?
1: So, so myself, uh, on my private aspect, I actually use the, the authenticator, uh, Google Authenticator. Lots of people still assume that you have to pay for some service like that. Uh, I've also introduced my friends and family to the Google Authenticator. And you'll notice a lot of people also touched on uh, um, cryptocurrencies and they wanted to play with cryptocurrencies, and they didn't know that they needed to secure their wallet by using a two-factor authentication method. So I highly recommend using MFA, uh, even if it's a Google authenticator. A microscope got their own authenticator as well. I'll suggest using that. And why it is important is uh, even my kids. So my kids are using a PlayStation network, and their account got breached. And the reason it got breached is the password was easily guessed. So I had to do some education there as well and be able to teach them, okay, you need to use two-factor authentication and this is how you're going to secure your account. They now don't like me very much because it's extra steps before they play the games, but at least it makes sure that they secured. because one of the other things that is also very key is although we got MFA, we got all the security tools, education is very important. If we don't educate our end users, we can have all the tools in the world, and that comes down to people, process, and technology. I can give you the the process, the technology. You can give me the process, but your people is the problem at the end of the day. We need to make sure that education is driven down to them, so that they don't click on links, they don't get uh, fake MFA's coming to their PCs because. We know all the 619 scams. Uh, they'll phone you and tell you, we just pushed some MFA to you. Can you please give us the five-digit code? So even though you have MFA, you can still go and give that code out. So just make sure that education is quite key on that front as well.
0: Fantastic advice. Zahir Ibrahim, we need to have you on more often. Uh, senior sales engineer at Trend Micro, unpacking the latest research. And uh, it's the numbers are quite horrifying. Take some of those tips um, and and really protect yourself. And I think what you said in the last part there about being, you know, educating people about the risks, is probably the most important one. Zahir, thank you very very much for joining us, and we hope to see you soon.
1: Thanks, thanks, Akid. Thanks, Yelens. Thank Cheers. You.